Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We can get excited again because we now officially have dates. Not times, not TV networks, but dates. For the college football playoff, first-round games, semifinals, and championship games in 2024 and 2025. And so Brian Haydad can get excited all over again. Dude. We had... And I will be. The I am. five days of college football playoff game on Thursday, college football playoff game on Friday, NFL wild card on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday will be the greatest five days of sports viewership of all time. And I know it's all football. I get it. It's all football. I guess baseball will be... No, they'll be done, right? Yeah, they're done, no. so it's all football. <laughs> in, in December? In December? I, I'm, trying, be done. I'm yeah. trying to add to it. There in are, January, there are some basketball weekends that other stuff is going on. However, those five days. I won't sleep. There's no way you can get me to sleep. Hey, Dad and I will sleep. Neither of us have problems sleeping. I have problems sleeping. It just doesn't happen very sure. much for me. But, like... Having to go to bed after a college football playoff game, and then waking up to NFL Wild Card—I don't know. I just—I won't be—I won't be sleeping that night. I'll just be reading and reading and reading, and then wake up with some coffee after like thirty minutes of actual shut eye, and then boom. So we have that to get to this afternoon. We have the college football fix and another list that Michael Borky hates. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later. We had 11. Everybody should hate this list. There is no justification whatsoever for this list being published with somebody's name attached to it. We had 11 a.m. baseball that for a while looked not good for the Ole Miss baseball team, but a late-inning rally um, turned it around. Even in victory, it didn't look good. No, but but they, they did what they... I mean, look, that's a game where it doesn't matter, right? I mean, you either win it or you lose it, and Hal doesn't matter, and they managed to win it. Um, We have a gambling scandal in college baseball where we are short on details... But I think there are some layers to the conversation that surround what we will talk about in just a moment. Kendall Rogers will join us at 20 minutes after 4 today, so we'll talk some college baseball with him. 
and a whole lot more. This is Sports Talk Mississippi at the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino, where I don't know if they will be taking bets on Alabama baseball in the foreseeable future. Um, but there are plenty of other things that you can wager on if you are so inclined. Learn more about the sports book and everything else that is happening at Pearl River Resort at their website, PearlRiverResort.com. The Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. It's backed by world-class IT professionals who live right here, the same place you do, Ceasefire Country. Learn more online at ceasefire.com slash business. So the gambling story in college baseball. Alabama was at LSU this weekend. Just to give you a little background, LSU swept that series. Alabama had a late scratch on Friday in game one. About two hours before first pitch, they scratched the starting pitcher and they went with a different guy. There were two bets that were placed at the sportsbook. I think it was MGM Sportsbook inside the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. And that triggered a flag of some sort that caused an investigation and all Ohio sports books, state of Ohio sports books, because remember these are regulated at the state level, not at the federal level, not at the national level, to take Alabama LSU off the board. There was a call that was made to the state of Louisiana to give them a heads up, to be on the lookout for irregularities. And now we are left to wonder what happened. Yeah. Whoa. And I I had a friend ask me earlier, he was like, why is this such a big deal? It's just in Ohio. And I said, if you were trying to break into a home, what would you wear? Would you go in with with, with your driver's license out in your hand and, and your face for the ring camera with bright colors? And would you park your car right in front of the house with your license plate on? Or would you wear long sleeves, put a mask over your face, all black? Would you conceal who you are if you were breaking into a home? That would be the smart thing to do, right? That's how most people go about it. If you were trying to get involved in possibly fixing a baseball game in the state of Alabama, would you, or whatever it is, if if, mm-hmm. if there was some nefarious stuff going on here, would you lay those wagers in the same state that the game is going on? Or in the same state of one of the teams involved? No, right? You would do it somewhere else. So it being in Ohio does not add... So, That's so not the end-all, be-all. Yeah, all we can do is speculate. at this point is speculate. So I've got a little bit of educated speculation, but it's, but it's still speculation. I don't think this was a scenario where somebody was trying to fix a game. That doesn't really add up with what we know so far. This feels like a scenario where somebody 
either close to the Alabama program or close to the LSU program found out that Alabama was not going to be able to go with its scheduled starting pitcher, its ace, in game one of a three-game series, and on the mound on the other side was arguably the best pitcher in college baseball in a decade and a half, Paul Skeens. LSU was a minus 245 favorite. And college baseball is a relatively low-handle sport. What I mean by that is a handle is a term that is used to describe the total amount of money that is wagered on a game. And if you compare college baseball, which is frankly in its infancy in terms of being able to bet on it, first people that we know of that made college baseball lines available were the sports book at the Golden Moon. We've talked to Chris Hopwood about that. But odds makers have found out that there is a market for college baseball gambling, and those have become readily available, especially with the growth in sports books all across the country and the legalization of sports gambling state by state that's happened in so many places. But because college baseball is such a low-handle sport in terms of the total amount of money that is invested on one side or the other in any given game, Significant bets are easily recognized. Out-of-character bets are easily recognized. And as crazy as this sounds, I've talked to a couple of people that say a bet that is as small as $500 could have raised a red flag with the people who monitor sports gambling on this particular game. And if there were multiple bets, and by the way, we're led to believe that was the case in the story, at least one parlay and at least one money line bet that were on LSU, or we think on LSU, which really is the only thing that makes sense given the information that we do have available at this point. If it's a person who is a regular better on college baseball that maybe bets 50 bucks a game, but all of a sudden they place a $500 bet on this particular game, that could raise a flag. If it's someone who has never bet on college baseball before, that could raise a flag. There are a lot of things that could trigger a red flag for the people that monitor this. And so what does it all mean? Now, I I said a second ago, I do think there's a larger conversation here. We're going to tie this into college football when we come back. But doesn't it feel most likely that a tip, maybe an intended tip, maybe an innocent tip, was sent from someone involved with that game to someone off-site, whether it was directly to someone who they knew would place a bet or was innocent where a roommate was texted? I'm I'm completely hypothetical. hypothesizing here. What if a manager or a backup outfielder for Alabama sends a message to their roommate at the end of batting practice that says, man, we're so screwed. Not only is that LSU throwing skeins, but our starter's out tonight. Just kind of an innocent whatever. And then that person goes, uh, huh. I know somebody that would like that information and passes it along. 
Or maybe it's something far more nefarious than that. But I think it brings up an important conversation that we have previously advocated for on this show. We'll talk about it next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Super Talk Mississippi. Check this out. Are you ready? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. Beyond the boundaries of your city's lights, stand the heroes waiting for your cries. So many times you did not bring this on yourself. And when that moment finally comes, I'll be there to help. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Good to be with you this afternoon. We get a message on the ceasefire text line. Wow, this is a ton of speculating right now. Yes, which is what I said before we talked about it. It's pure speculation. But it's not completely blind speculation, okay? I know Michael Borky thinks I never work. It's not true. I, I, I get that. But the fact it. is, think it. I talk to a lot of people, and I did that today with regard to this story and tried to gather some Bankers, background information. Hedge fund managers. Yeah. Jeff also says, this might be the dumbest conversation you've ever had. Well, Jeff, why don't you hold on I just for a second? I know for a fact I've had dumber conversations on this show. That, but I mean, just pause for a second. An SEC baseball game was flagged by a sports book for essentially insider information, where bets were flagged because they didn't make sense. Let me let me read the story to you from ESPN. Not the entire thing. Ohio gambling regulators on Monday instructed the state's licensed sports books to halt betting on college baseball games involving Alabama after suspicious wagering activity was detected on the Crimson Tides game against top-ranked LSU on Friday. The directive, issued by Ohio Casino Control Commission Executive Director Matthew Schuler and obtained by ESPN, prohibits, quote, the acceptance of any wagers on University of Alabama baseball effective immediately, immediately, close quote. The emergency order was in response to a report from an independent integrity monitor. On Friday, U.S. Integrity, a Las Vegas-based firm that monitors the betting markets, issued an alert to its sportsbook clients regarding, quote, suspicious wagering activity, close quote, involving the Alabama-LSU game. Because there's no national gaming regulator, a halt on wagering typically happens on a state-by-state basis. An MGM spokesperson told ESPN earlier today, we work closely with our suspicious activity monitoring provider, U.S. Integrity, regulatory bodies, and law enforcement when necessary. We're actively working with the OCCC on this incident and won't be providing additional commentary at this time. Now, in terms of the outcome of the game, LSU was up 8-1, to one, and they held off a late rally from LSU for LSU to win 8-6. Alabama held off a late rally. 
LSU was a minus 245 betting favorite against the Crimson Tide. Alabama begins a three-game series against Vanderbilt on Thursday. The game will be on ESPNU. The idea that this is a dumb conversation, frankly, Jeff, is silly. Can you imagine, and I know there are a lot of people in high levels, athletics departments, conference offices, the SEC and other leagues as well, who have already asked the question, what if this had been football? Sports wagering is now legal in most of the country. So, here, I think, is the next layer of the conversation. Are we moving closer to not just wanting, but needing and mandating college football? College football in particular, but maybe all sports to operate the way the NFL in particular does in terms of publishing injury reports and practice updates throughout the week. Now, if you are a head football coach or an assistant football coach in this state that happens to be listening right now, you may have just driven off the road. Heck no, we'll never do that. Well, you might. So, the NFL's... Practice report and injury report policy is as such. A practice report after the first full practice of the week, that's usually on Wednesday, with designations for all players of out, did not practice, limited participation, or full participation. And then the injury report, generally speaking, comes out on Fridays. Obviously, it's earlier than that for teams that have Thursday games or later in the season have Saturday games. But generally speaking, for Sunday games, the injury report comes out on Friday. The statuses on that are out, that's if they expect a player not to play, doubtful, that's for a player who has only a 25% chance of playing, questionable, which is a 50-50 shot, or probable, which is the virtual lock that a player is going to play. We've talked about this before with the legalization of sports gambling, if if we would get to a point where this had to happen in college football. Betting irregularities on a college sport, it's the first time we've had that story since, since sports gambling has become far more widespread legally. It's the first issue that's popped up. Yeah. And so, to our friend that suggested that this was a ton of speculating, yeah, I mean, we're speculating about what actually happened in Alabama LSU because we have no idea. But something did. But something happened that caused the game to be flagged. And something happened in the state of Ohio, a long way from the bayou, that caused the game to be flagged. That's number one. And number two... What about the larger question for the rest of college sports, specifically football? So the reason that I would argue for the injury report, it takes this particular situation away. Yeah. And if everybody has to do it, and there is legitimate punishment 
for intentionally falsifying a practice report or an injury report, then everybody's on a level playing field. Coaches love to hide injuries. They love to not talk about injuries, and they love to hide behind HIPAA as the reason why. It's pretty simple. When you sign your scholarship papers, you also have to sign a form in which you allow the university to reveal not specifically an injury, but whether you are a full participant in practice, whether you're questionable, whether you're probable. You don't like it? Don't sign it. Don't play. Don't get a scholarship. Don't open it up for NIL. And don't you know, I should know this with how much I follow the NFL, I think you can't play if you don't practice before the game. You have to be some, if you're a non like you have to declare who's going to play before game day at some point. In the NFL, not in the NBA. I think in the NFL, on Sunday morning, you know who will be in uniform and who will not. Yeah. Yeah. Ceasefire text line, Richard, I don't mean to be rude, but you used the same language when you said you had many sources and Lane was going to Auburn. No, I didn't. I was far more forceful in that. Oh, no, this guy has has sent messages about this for a long yeah, time. Yeah, whatever. He's I, mean, I don't care, but no, but no, you're wrong. We're just talking openly about this, and I'm telling you about some conversations that I've had with people. No, I was extremely well-sourced on Lane going to Auburn. And I've also, like, owned that about a hundred times. I was wrong. I wasn't wrong with the information I had when I had it, but I was wrong with the end result. It's not the same thing. But You're not allowed to be wrong. I'm glad that, Gosh. I'm, I'm glad that you think that you can take a shot at me five months later about something that I was wrong on. And you can, anytime you want to, feel free. But it's not the same thing. And you're a moron if you think it is. There are there are the, that small percentage of people that, that are holding out for some reason that do not believe anybody and think that there was, there was never any truth and it was all a media creation. Somebody needs to tell basically everybody involved with your athletic department that there was nothing to it. How about that? But hold out, hold out, and yeah, it's fine. That Whatever. Like, I mean, it's like there's a ooh, gotcha. It's fine. I've owned it. I was wrong. See, somebody says and everybody that, will be questionable. That that you you can't do it that way if they model the NFL. By the yeah. way, yeah, yeah, can't you, do it you, that way. You have to be forthright, and, and and you're going to have to be forthright because people watch games, also, right? You watch the week one games. And you see a guy who limps off the field with a sprained ankle and can barely walk or has to be helped off the field, you expect his name to be on the injury report in some form or fashion. You can't have a guy not practice all week where he had a freak injury off the field and not tell anybody about it in this scenario. That's when you get popped. Sorry, I've talked a lot. I want to get your reaction, and yours as well, in the ceasefire text line, to the idea of an injury report in college football and whether we need it. We'll be right back. Are we going to do this? Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome again, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. The conversation is surrounding the Alabama-LSU baseball game that was flagged on Friday for gambling irregularities. The story came out yesterday, last night, and it's been advanced a little bit today. And it has spawned this conversation of whether or not college football, to avoid something similar happening with regard to a late decision to scratch a player or holding that decision until the very end, if you could avoid things like that by mandating practice reports, practice participation reports, or at least one of those, and then an injury report before a weekend's college football slate. What do you guys think about this? I'm a big fan of it, to be honest with you, first from a media perspective, because it's infuriating dealing with coaches when we're talking about injuries. And I'll give you an example. Uh, This past year, Mississippi State linebacker Deshaun Page tweeted out a picture from a hospital room saying surgery went great, something like that, right? This was during the season. Mm-hmm. So I was I was on the show, obviously. I see it. Uh, the other guys on the beat, they go out to practice. They're talking to Zach Arnett. They ask, so with Deshaun Page out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, was he out? He's I, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like he tweeted a picture from the, ho- the hospital room saying surgery went great. We all know he had an injury. Just say he's out. You don't have to play games. And I mean, Leach and Moorhead were terrible about it. Mullen wasn't great about it. You know, we obviously, Mullen obviously famously tried to leave a press conference or tried to leave a, a, a meeting because they were talking about injuries. It, it's not like this huge deal. It's not like Nick Saban is sitting over there going, you know, if they have Deshaun Page, that's a game changer for us. We 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 need to find out if he's playing or not. Nick now, Saban is it Will Rogers? Sure. Pretty forthright when it comes to injuries. And Saban, and Saban is. If, if it's Will Rogers, I understand. Like maybe because that's that, there's a, there's a difference for state. If it's Jackson Dart or Quinshawn Judkins for Ole Miss, and they're and they're they may or may not play. Maybe you don't want to give up that information. I get that. But when it's your you know, it's your backup linebacker, and you're just like, hey, is he out? Yeah, he's out. He didn't practice. Just it, it's not that big a deal. We we've gotten some messages about preparedness. You think that the aforementioned Nick Saban, let's pretend Jackson Dart rolls his ankle week before the Alabama game, hobbled off the field. But Lane Kiffin does his typical, we hope he plays on Saturday thing. You you think Nick Saban's not going to be prepared for every possible scenario? Dart playing and Dart 100%, Dart playing at 50%, Sanders playing, Walker Howard playing, them using Judkins in the. Like, you think they're. That this idea that, oh, well. You don't want an injury report to come out because it, it will put you at a disadvantage in preparedness. The, the, these staffs, it's a head coach, he's got 10 staffers, and a billion, at least at Alabama anyway, analysts. Ole Miss has a ton. Mississippi State, I mean, they, they would be prepared for every scenario already. Like The, the idea that it's going to change the game because of preparedness, I think, is a little goofy. They're already prepared for the player playing and the player not playing if they can put on the film and see, ooh, he rolled his ankle there. Hey, analyst over here, keep an eye on that. Watch that closely for the rest of the game. Watch him in pregame warm-ups, and we'll, pre- we'll be prepared for him playing or not playing or whatever. It's, it's about 
And I think the fan aspect of this as well is important. I mean, how many times has a fan shown up to a stadium not knowing if a player's going to play or not? I think that that's, that should matter too. Transparency to your fans don't should forget, also matter, I think. Don't forget Mullen a few years ago when he, he went off on a fan who asked a question like that at, at, on his call-in show. Because the rumor was going around that Will Redmond had torn his ACL, was going to be out for the season. And so a fan called and said, Coach, is, is, is Will Redmond going to be able to play? And he's like, well, you know, if you want to find out, you can come to the stadium. Like, what if my son's favorite player is Will Redmond? And he wants to come to the game to see his guy. And then I drove all the way up there. for. I mean, that's just a dumb thing to say. I get the feeling that because we're in Mississippi and the coaches here are pretty tight-lipped on injuries is why a lot of the people here are saying that they agree with this. Whereas if we were an Alabama show, and you'd like you mentioned, Saban's pretty open about it. There's probably a lot of, eh, whatever. Yeah, do an injury report. It's no different than the NFL. We, we went through a time period when Matt Luke was the head coach at Ole Miss where he was incredibly forthright and open about injuries. In fact, he opened his Monday press conferences with a review of the previous game. Here's where we are from an injury status. And then he would take questions. Always liked that about Matt Luke. Yeah. More would, would tell you people were injured. He just wouldn't tell you what the injuries were. It just upper body, lower body. But he would tell you if somebody had, so he's out with a lower body. But yeah. the, the original point, though, is the most important thing. The, the, I was saying, we're, we're, not, we're not asking this so little Johnny can get an autograph and see his favorite player no. or so that we can be more informed with our listeners and how we look at games. We're asking about this in terms of avoiding putting safeguards in to avoid any scandals in college football related to sports wagering. That's the reason we're asking the question. Protecting the integrity of the game. Everybody's making fun of the NFL for suspending players for wagering on sports, including football. That's why. Because if you if you don't punish a player for betting on football games that he's participating in, everybody's going to question every time there result, there's a result where a guy dropped a ball in the end zone. Fans are going to wonder, why? Did, did he have money on the game? Or did one of his boys have money on the game? It eliminates that question. You said it perfectly earlier. You need to take the, the chance of ruining the integrity of the outcome of the games away. And this would be a very simple thing that would eliminate what happened on the baseball field this weekend. And as everybody knows, in football, the stakes are tremendously higher. The emotions are... It it matters so much more. Not to use the the commercial phrase, but it does. You, You said it. They're very lucky this was a baseball game. And not the Alabama LSU football game. Hmm. If if you keep the teams but change the sport, imagine, imagine if Daniels yeah. is hurt and and some insider information gets out that he's not going to play today, but nobody knows he's not going to play today, and that word gets around. And the sports book here in Philadelphia at the Timeout Lounge and sports books everywhere, you've got people laying ridiculous wagers that they wouldn't otherwise. Makes you wonder. You, you can't let that happen. Bo and Indianola, combination cheap shot, shallow thought. And look at Matt Luke's record, it should say it all. Had nothing to do with it. I mean, you know, 
One plus two equals 14, right? I mean, really? We compliment Matt Luke on being transparent when it comes to injuries, and that in your mind, Bo, means, oh, yeah, that's why he was a terrible coach? Uh, your first mistake was reading Bowen Indianola's text. We also That's uh, on you. That's, when, a, that's a Richard problem. And also, remember I read this earlier when the, the guy was like, hey, you said the same thing about Lane Kiffin in Auburn? And I very much explained it and reminded him that I had owned it 14 times. I think I said 100. Probably a little hyperbolic. Yeah. And then said, if you didn't see the difference in those two things, then you're a moron. And his response was, it's amazing. Anytime someone disagrees with you guys, they're stupid, idiots, or morons. It's amazing to me that that's what you took away from my response to your message. But at least you get it. Also, my wife has a a little framed watercolor that says, if the shoe fits, buy one in every color. Maybe that's for you. Maybe. The shoe fits. You can be a part of the conversation. And we love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Do schools hand out info about the teams on Monday meetings with the media? Um, information, yes. No. I mean, that's where you get usually they'll hand out a stack of game notes and whatever and you ask questions. But, no, it's not like the media gets an injury report on Monday. State. State puts a depth chart out before week one, and it never changes. Really? Yeah, I mean, guys guys will be out for the season, still showing up on the depth chart. Like as a starter? Or just 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 in the position? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, they they don't change it. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. You can find them online at mtradepark.com. If you've never been, I would encourage you to try it. If you're a coach or a parent that's involved in scheduling, check out the schedule. ton of tournaments between now and the end of June. It's on the schedule page at the M-Trade website, mtradepark.com. 14 fields, all with synthetic turf infields, natural grass outfields. They are infinitely playable as long as you don't have lightning. A lot of upgrades this year to M-Trade Park. Check out the schedule. Get your team involved today, whether it's baseball, fast pitch, or soccer. If you're going to play, play M-Trade. We'll be right back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. You're hearing Sports Talk Mississippi. What? This is on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome again, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Good to be with you. You can be part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. We talked yesterday about a change that Chris Lamonis made in his program as Scott Foxhall was relieved of his coaching duties as the pitching coach for Mississippi State. 
Chris Lamonis was not with us on the radio yesterday, but he did have his radio show last night, and a couple of things were said. Uh, he could have waited until the season's end, quote, but it was a gut feeling, this is what we needed to do. We needed a fresh take and a new look. He also said, my job is to protect the program. It's probably one of the harder days I've had as a coach. He said, when we throw strikes, we win, usually. We've got to be able to get off the field at Tennessee. We had so many two-out runs. And also about Scott Foxall said, Fox is about as genuine a person as you will find. We had a team meeting, and I think there's a little bit of shock value to it. The reality is we have to move on. That was some of what was said last night on Chris Lamonis' radio show about that change in coaching situation. Not a ton there, hey, Dad. I don't know that we learned a whole lot. Anything that you've gathered in the, what, 24 hours since we came on yesterday? Just that it it does appear it's trending towards there's not going to be an interim pitching coach, that they're just going to try to work it out with the staff they have and put some faith in Luke Hancock, Ross Highfield, and and their and their pitchers. That it does it does not look like there's going to be an interim guy that they'll put all their their energy into into hiring a new pitching coach at a, on a permanent basis as quickly as they can. You kind of wondered out loud yesterday if this meant Luke Hancock would get more opportunities behind the plate. Mississippi State's kind of settled on Ross Highfield in that role, and it's been better for both of them. They've been better defensively behind the plate with Highfield catching. They've controlled the running game more with him catching. Mm -hmm. But he's also a freshman, whereas Hancock is a veteran, although a veteran who's played probably more first base than he has caught in his time at Mississippi State. Do you still believe that it's likely that we'll see more of Luke Hancock behind the plate down the stretch because of that, or maybe not. I mean, that just makes sense, right? I like the idea of, of Hancock being out there these last few weeks. He need, I'm, I'm sorry, Highfield needs at bats. He's a young player. He's going to be your catcher next season. You need to let him continue to you know to get at bats and continue to develop. Although he's going to be facing some outstanding pitching, and you know, it's, I don't know that he's going to be overly successful. I just think that he needs the opportunities. But if you're in this situation, you know you might just have to rely on the veteran a little bit more. Uh, Hancock threw a runner out last week, uh, which I mean I won't lie, it caught me off guard, but he did do it. And you know defensively, yeah, he can't. He's not as good as at throwing out runners as Highfield is. Although Highfield hasn't been particularly great, but he is a lot better of, of, of avoiding wild pitch pass. I mean, pass balls has been a huge issue this year for for uh, for Ross Highfield. So yeah. Might see a little bit more of Hancock behind the plate over the next few weeks. Yes, for sure. Dwayne and Brandon says, so pretty much put pitching on autopilot? Eh, I don't know that that's fair to say. And look. Yeah. Chris Lamonis is the head coach at one of the biggest brands in college baseball. The idea that he couldn't call the game is a little crazy. They're building a scouting report. There's a plan on how to approach... Approach certain hitters with what a particular pitcher has in his arsenal, what tools he's got in his toolbox. You've got charts in front of you. You know what your approach is going to be. The idea that that Chris Lamonis couldn't call fastball, breaking ball, change up, and locations, especially in 
having a plan in front of him to of, of how they want to go about it? I mean, that's a little silly. Of course he's capable of doing that. Is his background as a pitching coach? No. Is he going to make the right decision every single time? No, probably not. But you know what? He's also had a trump card if he's wanted it for, for four years with Scott Foxhall. He's standing right beside him in the dugout, and if he wants, you know, if he's got a gut feeling on a particular pitch, he could have overruled him at any point. And they prepare those plans together. So, I don't know. I just, I'm wondering if we're making too much of who's calling pitches for the final three weeks of the regular season. I think so. Well, I'll say this. They're playing Arkansas, LSU, and a Texas A&M team that's going to need to win. Any one of us could call the pitches, and the results of these games probably wouldn't be too different. Does the fact that he's not scrambling to fill the void tell you anything about the future? That's what I'm so curious about is is does he has he been made aware of what the future holds? Don't you think the answer to that is no? I mean, Zach Selman worked under two of the best athletics directors in the country. And Bubba Cunningham at North Carolina and Joe Castiglione at Oklahoma. I'm assuming he was paying attention for the last decade and a half and knows that telling your coach what you're going to do while the season is still going is not a great management plan. Over me. Check this out. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thank you for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Coming to you, as always, from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book, the Golden Moon Casino. You can find them online at pearlriverresort.com to learn more or visit them in person. Check out the sports book. Really cool setup and a uh, cool environment there. Um, love to hear from you. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Whether you're looking for the best in wireless service in the state of Mississippi, fiber to the home, or perhaps you are looking for business IT services, Ceasefire can help. Learn more online at ceasefire.com and ceasefire.com slash business. So Ole Miss played a baseball game today. They hosted Little Rock. And perhaps that game was closer than some fans would have liked. It got very close to stick a fork in them, they're done territory there for a while. Little Rock came into the game 25 and 16 on the year, so a decent baseball team. And headed to the bottom of the sixth inning. There was a lot of scoring before the bottom of the sixth, but let's start in the bottom of the sixth inning. Little Rock led 10 to 6. And then in the bottom of the sixth, John Kramer hit a two-run home run. He was on base. He had three walks and a two-run home run today. 
So a productive day at the plate for him in the DH spot. And that made it 10-8. to eight. And in the seventh inning, Will Furness got a sack fly to make it 10-9. to nine. And then in the eighth inning, Jacob Gonzalez had an RBI single. Ethan Leger reached base, got the second on a throwing error, and Jacob Gonzalez scored on the throwing error. And then Calvin Harris had an RBI single to right, put Ole Miss in front 12-10, to 10, and the Rebels won the game. A bunch of guys pitched today for Ole Miss. Jordan Vera went three innings. He was the starter. Braden Jones just got into a mess when he came into the game in the fourth with a couple of walks, a couple of hit batters, gave up a hit, ends up giving up four earned runs in an inning in which Little Rock scores five. Then it was Cole Ketchum, and then Tommy Henninger for the third time this year, third appearance of the season. And then Jackson Kimbrell, who did not record an out. And then Sam Tekoyan, who had a couple of strikeouts but walked a couple. And then Cole Tolbert, who was pretty darn good. He gave up three hits, but he struck out four, didn't walk anybody, and pitched two innings and picked up the win in his fifth appearance of the season. Cole Ketchum, uh, joke for Haydad, a distant relative of Ash. Cole Tolbert, not Cole Ketchum. <laughs> But you said no, you said Cole Ketchum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, He pitched earlier in the game. Yeah. And then Mason Nichols came just on. Just stay and... out of our references. When we make references, you just stay over there. We're, we're making references here. Mason Nichols picked up his fourth save of the year, had a couple of strikeouts. He's pitched better over the last two weeks. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll need him to, to, to go 8-1 and one and then... Make a bit of a run in Hoover. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? It's you know, at least there's no ambiguity. At least I don't think there's any ambiguity, right? It's uh, at a bare minimum they have to win eight of their next nine games. Winning nine would be better than only winning eight, but seven and two, they're done. Two two losses and that's it. They're not going to make the tournament. Unless always better to win nine than eight. I agree. Unless they win the SEC championship, of course. That well, qualifier I was going to say like get to Saturday or Sunday. You know, if you played <laughs> and had to win on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, go win four games in the guys, tournament. Yeah, I understand, guys. It's okay to tap out. It's okay to say they're not good and they're not going to make it. It's okay. I did it last year. I'm doing it this I year. I got so much crap. Take a breath. Last year that that I'm scarred. I've got scar <laughs> tissue. I'm not going to do that again. No, this, this team Borky is not is that not team. Not saying uncle until until the, uncle it, is sitting in his lap. Yeah, but what a, a 12 win SEC team has made one one time. Mississippi State 2006, I believe it was. Is that right? Quite a long right. time ago. And Ole Miss's RPI is not going to be good enough at 12 wins to get there. That team was number one in the nation at one point. Since it a theme with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at Boyd's World, the RPI needs report, and here's what they've got for Ole Miss. Obviously, there is no scenario where they can finish in the top eight. There is no scenario when they can finish in the top 16. According to Boyd, there is no scenario where they can finish in the top 32. 
to finish in the top 45. Ole Miss has 11 games remaining. Five at home, six on the road. That may be before today. So maybe it's 10 games remaining, four at home, six on the road. And to finish in the top 45, they have to win four of their five at home and all six on the road, or five at home and five on the road. To finish in the top 45. Now, I don't know if that means 45 or as high as 33, but there's a long way to go. Long way to go. So that's the scenario for Ole Miss. If you're curious about Mississippi State, they could still finish in the top 32. Their current RPI is 53. They have 11 games remaining, eight of them are at home, three on the road. It would take to get into the top 32 seven home wins and three road wins or eight home wins and two road wins. So they're not finishing in the top 32. What, and the top right 45, now? 53 in the RPI. They're finishing lower than that. I was going and to Ole Miss is 65 in the RPI currently. That's not a prediction. That's a spoiler. Yeah. Well, you never know. Maybe LSU's tied up in the, in this point shaving scandal, and Paul Skeen's an honorable man. Yeah. Besides, he has to walk away. I mean, from from the people that used a children's hospital charity to funnel money to football players, would it really? Anyway, um, is there? By the way, didn't ask this earlier. Was meaning to. Let's pretend for a second that somebody within the Alabama baseball program did leak that information to somebody that put money on games. What happens to Alabama baseball? The individual, I assume, gets fired, never work in the field again. But does anything happen to the program because of that? Because if you're Greg Sankey and you find out that that happened, you can't just be like, ah, well, he got fired, all good, right? You've, you've got to make an example of somebody, don't you? And it's easier to do when it's baseball, Right. Uh, yeah. Don't you really have to punish harshly the first offender to to send a message to the rest of the league, you make sure you don't have any staff members leaking injury information to sports books to possibly question the integrity of our games? I mean, that that's big ifs, though, right? Right. But just big, in big that if. scenario, you've got to come down hard, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk with Kendall Rogers coming up in the uh, in the next segment. And we'll ask Kendall his thoughts on the scandal. I mean, is it a scandal at this point? I I, I don't know. Not yet. It, I don't know if it rises to the level of a scandal. It's not a gate yet. It could be one. It just depends on what they find. Yeah. There's the possibility of a scandal. It's a pre-scandal. It's quasi-scandalous. Yeah. It's the C-Span diet text coke line. of scandals. Uh, two different fans, right? Two different fans. 
This is a Mississippi State fan who says, MSU is done. He all, now, now, this is unfair. But the rest of his text was, they accidentally won the national championship, and that was thanks to all the COVID crap that the better team had. Eh, come on now. That's, that's some pretty significant revisionist history. Did you say this person is a Mississippi State fan? Because a quick scroll up will prove otherwise. Oh, are they not? No. Pretty sure they're on the other side of that debate. Well, okay. Sorry. I should have said a Mississippi State text and an Ole Miss text. As a rebel, this was the other text, let's pack it in and call Kiffin over to show Bianco how to get players from the portal. From a beach house in Los Angeles, apparently. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We'll be right back. Kendall Rogers joins us next. From the flatlands of Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Every minute worth waiting for. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. And Super Talk TV, thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Kendall Rogers joins us right now. Kendall, you know, of course, is with D1 Baseball. Find that online at d1baseball.com. There is simply no website, a group of people that do a better job covering the college baseball game than the entire crew at D1. So, Kendall, let's just dive right into what is, unfortunately, I think the biggest story of the day in college baseball, and that's this gambling, I I hesitate to call it a scandal at this point. I feel like we got to know more first. I'm sure you've been talking and texting and trying to figure this out. What what do we know? What do you know? So the... So the crux of this whole thing is what I, what I understand is that someone and it does not appear to be a player because the bet was made at Great American Ballpark in Ohio. Uh, that's kind of hard to get from Baton Rouge from Ohio to Baton Rouge in an hour and a half. But uh, it sounds like somebody who knew, who knows somebody when it made a bet real big on LSU to beat Alabama. Now the, the, the really strange thing about this to me is LSU is a heavy favorite. So like betting heavy on LSU like isn't like that's not something to me that seems weird. But what likely happened from what I've talked to some people in, in what the gambling industry is, what probably happened here is whomever it was, whether it was the parlay or the money line, because you can only bet the money line to college baseball in Ohio. What probably happened is someone went in there and put you know five figures down on or on LSU. So what happened is probably it's probably somebody who's never bet on Alabama baseball before. Walked in there and said, "You know what? I want twenty grand on LSU to be Alabama tonight," and that probably just tipped them off. So, you know, the, the question becomes like, like who who is this person that made the bet? Is it the dad of a player? Is it you know a player relayed information to a friend? That I guess that's the big question. I guess the good news is, you know, because Lord knows Alabama doesn't need drama after everything they've been through in basketball and whatnot. Uh, and then recently with this compliance person. Um, but, you know, it, it does not look like it's a player. And so if it's not a player, to me, like, it's not that big a deal. Cause, I mean, I was talking, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. It's like, 
I talk to coaches all the time, and so there there are coaches who will text me before a game and say, "Hey, man, we're you know we're scratching you know you know Hunter Elliott right now, and it's an hour and a half before the game." Like you know, I could go out there and go make a bet based on that. Like it happens all the time, right? Like we find out information about injuries, and you know people will go out and make bets accordingly. So there's nothing illegal about it. The, the issue that that would be you know, obviously unethical would be if there was a player involved. And certainly uh, well, I, that, that is what member. I'm wondering now. I, I just – but, I mean, if if it was a staff member – how the staff member going to get to – you got a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if – okay, so even if it is a person connected to a staff member, it's not the staff member who made the bet. Right. So, at the end of the day, you're not, you know, you're not going in front of judge and jury. At the end of the day, you're just telling – you know, you're telling the NCAA, like, listen, man, like, I told my uncle, you know – look. Totally hypothetical. This is based off of that thing. But let's say you're Jason Jackson, you're the pitching coach, and you told your uncle that your starting pitcher is out tonight, and mm-hmm. your uncle went and made a big bet based on it. Like, I mean, or, you did nothing uncle, wrong. Or, or if you want to add a layer, your uncle said that to his buddy, and his buddy goes and makes a bet. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it great. I mean, I've talked to some sources on the Alabama program. They had no idea this was coming. So uh, it does not seem like it's anything nefarious or anything like that. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, well, here's my other thing about Alabama. It's not like they were, like, scratching Connor Prelip or Grayson Hitt, you know, for some scrub. Like, they were scratching an average pitcher for another average pitcher. So it's not like it was some sort of seismic decision. Yeah. Certainly different than it, Certainly different from the flip side if LSU two hours before first pitch scratched Paul Skeens. Different story. Well, yeah, exactly. Like if if they if you went and if, if there's somebody went and put a ton of money on Alabama because Paul Skeens is scratched, then you can look at this and go, okay, maybe there's something a little odd about this. Or if you looked at Alabama's stat line and like you know some pitcher is typically really good, uh, you know, was awful, or maybe the catcher you know had six pass balls and he typically only has one. But again. It's not the. It was not a player who was placing this bet. So at the end of the day, I think what probably happened is somebody who's never bet on Alabama baseball before walked in there, put down twenty five thousand dollars in Alabama to, to lose LSU, and that just tipped people off the wrong way. And maybe they, maybe they found a connection. All right. So Kendall, yesterday we got the news that Scott Foxhall is out as pitching coach at uh, at Mississippi yep. State. Let's start with. Is this historically significant? We, we were racking our brains yesterday, and it happens in basketball and it happens in football. You see changes during the season sometimes to staffs. It feels rare, if not unprecedented, in college baseball. Can you think mm-hmm. of a, a mid to late season still during the year firing? Uh, other than Canizero, not really. I mean, and that was obviously other circumstances, but like. <laughs> Same school, I mean, different situation. Not the yeah, answer. Slightly we different before. circumstances. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely were no cell phone usage involved in this one. Uh, I would say this about Scott Fox. Uh, number one, I, I think the world of Scott, I think he's a fantastic coach, even better person. Um, sometimes things just don't work out. Uh, I, I will say this about Mississippi State. Uh, I think that this is the right call, parting ways with Scott. But I do feel like if you're Mississippi State, you're six and fifteen in the league. You're probably not going to make the postseason. Scott Foxall helped you bring your only national championship in school history. What, like, what in the world 
like is waiting three weeks or four weeks to get rid of him. Like what to me this looks like something that was orchestrated by Zach Selman to like make some sort of ooh big splashy impact, like I got rid of the pitching coach kind of situation. That's what this looked like to me. I I thought they should have waited till the end of the year to get rid of him. Um, but that's what this looks like to me. And I, and I will say this about Scott Foxhall is at the end of the day, he can be a good coach at, at, pre, at a previous stop. He could have been a good coach the year they won the national championship. But this is a result-oriented business, Richard. And when you look at Mississippi State, they were 187th in the country in ERA two years ago. They were 206th in the country in ERA this year currently. That, to me, tells me you absolutely need to make a change. And maybe they feel like they had to make a change now to, you know, get get in front of everyone else in terms of, you know, going to find a new pitching coach. Like, I know of a couple of schools right now that are already reaching out to potential head coaches to fill head coaching, you know, jobs that aren't even open yet. So maybe that's kind of the plan here. But at the end of the day, I think they should have waited until the end of the year. But either way, parting with him is the right decision. I'm not going to put you on the spot and say where does Mississippi State go next because I think there are too many unknowns between now and the end of the year with Mississippi State before you, you kind of turn the page to that. So I think that would be unfair. Well, you can, put me, you can put me on the spot on that. I mean, real quick, I mean, I would say this. If, you're, if Mississippi State is getting rid of their pitching coach right now and they're going to turn around and fire Crystal and in four weeks, that looks so insanely stupid, uh, like – that 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 could be like a two segment deal if that happens because that like just the just like the perception of that just looks totally discombobulated. So what this actually tells me is that they're getting ready to stop Fox Hall, they're giving Chris Lamos a chance to go out and hire a pitching coach to to try to fix things and then proceeding from there. I, I don't see why in the world you would get rid of Scott Foxhall and then in four weeks go, oh, by the way, we're getting rid of our head coach too. Like what, what in the world would be the point of that? Okay, so, well, if that's the case, then let's play it forward. That Chris Lamonis is still the head coach for Mississippi State and he gets to go out and hire a new pitching coach. If you're Lamonis, who are you going to get? Oh. See, now that's a loaded question. Um. I'll have to think on that one. I mean, there are some guys around the country that I really like. I mean, I mean, I, I look no further than our, our reigning assistant coach of the year, Josh McDonald at UConn. He's a very odd fit at Mississippi State, just because he's like a New yeah, Jersey, he, New, New be, York. Guy. Oh my gosh, that'd be a, a yes. But he's a heck of a good coach, dude. He is a great pitching coach. Um, you know, I, I, I continue to hear like Chris Young being talked about. I, I think, and I and I love CUI, but like I think if you're Mississippi State. You've got to make a bigger splash than that. All right, Kendall, um, so let me, let me throw a name at you, and, and I do this at the risk of, of angering Southern Miss fans, and so forgive me for that. Christian Ostrander has had opportunities to leave Southern Miss, and he has chosen to stay for whatever reason. Maybe he thinks that he's going to be the next head coach at Southern Miss. Is that a guy that if you're Mississippi State you go after? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I think he – I don't think he's going anywhere, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's obviously – you know, they're not Christian – is Christian was like the runner-up last year to Wes Johnson for the LSU job. So if Wes Johnson doesn't get the LSU pitching coach job, Christian Ostrander is probably LSU's pitching coach right now. And so may, maybe he would look at Mississippi State. The, the only thing that hurts MSU with his pitching coach search is that if you're Christian and you look at the situation and go, you know what, you know, I think Scott might only have two or three more years, I can be the next head coach here, or I can go to Mississippi State, and let's just say, 
Okay, let's just, let's just play you know hypotheticals. Let's say he goes left. in and let's say, well, let's just say Mississippi State struggles next year. The whole staff gets fired. Then all of a sudden, Christian's back to square one. So I wouldn't make the move if I were him. Um, I, I think it's pretty risky. Kendall, thanks as always for your time. Kind of a uh, thanks, crazy guys. couple of Appreciate days in the college baseball world. We'll talk you to you got soon. It, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Kendall Rogers, D1Baseball.com on the Farm Bureau guest line. Mississippi continues. Richard, you got my curiosity up there. What's the what's weird about the Yukon pitching coach? He's really good. He has been with Jim Penders on his staff on staff at UConn for I think Jim Penders' entire tenure, and he's been there like seventeen years. Josh McDonald is first of all, he's about six eight, two fifty, two sixty. He's a big old boy. And he he's got kind of an over-the-top personality, demeanor. His players love him. He's just a character. He cusses like a sailor, too. But it's 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 like well-crafted. He's a... Seth, that sounds what? like what State needs is a little oil juice. When you... Is it rare to meet somebody one time... Or, or have kind of one interaction and walk away and feel like, you know what? I'm really pulling for that guy or that group of guys. I, I don't know. But I did the, um, I've talked about this before. I did the, the Coastal Carolina, the Conway South Carolina Regional, what was it, four or five years ago? And I walked away from that so incredibly impressed with everything surrounding the UConn baseball program. At the time, they were playing on a field that turned into a parking lot during football season, or maybe it just froze over. I don't know. It's just a complete, maybe I'm thinking about Boston College. But they played in a horrific stadium, waited a really long time to get their new ballpark. Jim Penders is the son of a former UConn player. He had the Michigan job if he wanted it last year when Backich left to go to Michigan left Michigan to go to Clemson. He ended up not even interviewing for it because of kind of his long term commitment to UConn baseball. And I just and everything everything they do with that program, it's like I wonder what that staff would do with the resources that exist for an elite SEC program. Because they have turned UConn into a basically probably four out of five years postseason participant. You remember they were a win away from the College World Series last year. They had to go out to Stanford and they won the first game, the second game was competitive, then they got beaten the third game. They just ran out of pitching. But I don't know. 
He's a big old northeastern Yankee too. I mean, he just he's just a character. Hmm? He's coached a bunch of big leaguers. Been there since 2012. So you can read up on it if you if you want to. Yeah, I think I will. And and Jim Penders is a really impressive guy at UConn too. Anyway. The, the yes. pitching coach conversation is an interesting one, though, because if you know that it's win or die, are you leaving a well-established job where you've created a, a not not a legacy, uh, a reputation of being really, really good at your job to to move, leave, just to see yourself fired in a year, where where you currently are, it's not that way. And you could take a different job, and it wouldn't be that way with the new staff. So so let's pretend for a second, play this out, that Chris Limonis will return at, at Mississippi State while everybody and their brother knows he better win or else. Are you getting pitching coach A, your first phone call? Are you getting that guy? Are you getting the second guy? Hey, you're having great success at this school. Come down here to Mississippi State where if we don't make it to a super regional Everybody's going to want us fired. Come on down. I get it's it. A situation where state would have to probably overpay to get somebody like that. And then somebody that would trust that their resume would not be overly negatively impacted. But they they could come back the next the next year and find another job just as easily. See, so to me, that's the thing. By the way, we got a couple of messages, including from Dave, who, um, big Southern Miss fan, regular listener to the show. He goes, hey, not mad at you about throwing out the name for the pitching coach. We understand that we do more with less than just about anybody in the country. We'd hate to see him go, but it's expected. And yet Ozzy stayed put for a long time. And so whether you're talking about Christian Ostrander, with the reputation that he has, or Josh McDonald, with the reputation that he has, those are got that that's just two examples. But in the college baseball world, the level of respect for those two guys is so high that in the event they became available a year from now, they would be jobless for like four minutes. But the question is, with Ozzy at Southern Miss. He's comfortable. His family's there. He's established. He's got a great boss. He has performed so well in his job for so long. Do you give all those things up for an unknown situation? If it's Josh McDonald, who's been, who is a former UConn player, who is from the state of Connecticut, and is the recruiting coordinator and the pitching coach, and has been with Jim Penders for 17 years, do you pick all of that up and go, this is my shot to get to the SEC? Or do you go, you know what, last year I saw my boss turn down Michigan. I don't know what the future holds right there. Maybe I'm better off staying. I don't know. And then the flip side is, those guys believe in themselves, right? 
Yeah. And so don't they aren't they going to look at it as a now you got to be realistic and be like if it doesn't work out what are we doing a year from now? But the competitive side of you, the you know you are good at your job side of you goes. I'm going to be the reason that this thing gets turned around. And we're going to do it in a year. I I mean, maybe that's... I think, and, and, and if you really look at Mississippi State and what they've done offensively this year, if you're a good pitching coach, you go, gosh, if, if they were just average, they'd be right in the thick of things as far as getting into the NCAA tournament. I'm going to go get to coach a, a pitching staff that's backed up by Hunter Hines and Dakota Jordan... And some some you know some good young hitters, and they've recruited young hitters, and they're going to do well in the portal. So, if State was just average pitching this year, they would they would not be in the situation they are this year. We get a message on the ceasefire text line that says Oz is the head coach in waiting at Southern Miss when Barry retires, which is believed to be soon. Maybe maybe not. I I, I honestly don't think. Scott Barry has decided how much longer he's going to go. I, I I don't think he knows the answer to that question. And I don't think that that is like a formal, it's in writing somewhere. But I do think you're right that in the event that Ostrander stays at Southern Miss and Scott Barry were to choose to retire in the next two, three, four years, whatever that time frame is, that the search for the next head coach would last the aforementioned four minutes. Like, in the same press release that you thank Scott Berry for his time as the head coach and all he's done, you announce that Christian Ostrander is the next head coach. I mean, not really in the same press release, but you understand. I, I think it's slam dunk home run, absolutely. It's a seamless transition, which is not different from the transition from Corky Palmer to Scott Berry. It's the thing about the Southern Miss baseball program is the level of stability for the last two decades, it's just off the charts. Now there's been some turnover in, in the assistant coaching staff, and it's unavoidable. There hasn't been a ton of it. Right? I mean, uh, oh, what was the guy's name that was the pitching coach before Oz that is now the head coach at, is it ULM? Mike Federico. Fed left to go get a head coaching job. Made sense. That's about the only reason you leave. Unless there's just this massive opportunity that you just can't say no to. And what's to say that if Oz left Southern Miss to go be an assistant somewhere, he couldn't go back as the head coach? He'd take him back. Oh, in a second! Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Good to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon in the Pearl River Resort Studio. We'll be right back.
Super Talk Mississippi. Introducing to you Sports Talk Mississippi. Welcome again, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. So, hey, Dad, I don't know if we ever actually hit on what I thought was the most interesting thing that, that Kendall kind of said, kind of the road that he went down. And that is that he believes that this decision during the season as an indi- is an indication that Chris Lamonis will still be the head coach. Do you also believe that? <coughs> excuse me. Um, You're excused. I think what, what this tells me is that Zach Selman's going to give Chris Lamonis every opportunity to prove that, hey, we can turn we can turn this around, and it, the first step to doing that was we had to get rid of, of Scott Foxall. And so, in these coming weeks, if they show a turnaround, yeah. But I just have trouble believing that if State finishes two and seven, one and eight, zero oh and nine, finishes with single digit wins in the SEC again, finishes last place in the SEC for the second year in a row, that he could stay. Because it, it, to me, it's like. This past year, you, know, you had the, the you had the bad season last year. Everybody's like, okay, you know, you won the national title the year before that. You, you're definitely getting a mulligan. Well, now he's going to get another mulligan. How many mulligans do you give the guy? If you again, if you want to claim that Mississippi State is an elite baseball program, a top tier baseball program, it's difficult to reconcile those two things for me. Is there a number in your mind? In terms of record I mean, over the last nine conference games? I think you maybe need to get four wins just to get to ten but, and, and, and but, be competitive in these games. We can't have any more of the <clears throat> excuse me, the the thirteen to twos and the eighteen to fives anymore. That's that's you gotta get away from that. And, and I guess here's what I would not even push back, but but the, the, the follow up question for me would be if you go four and five in the final nine games, I mean, you played hard, you had a little success, team kind of rallied, got fortunate, got some breaks. But if that gets you to ten wins in conference play, what's the difference in four and five and two and seven? What's the difference in four and five and one and eight? I mean, really? Well, it's the difference between finishing last and finishing twelfth. That's how I would look at it. Last place back to back years. Nobody's accepting that. Missouri, maybe. That's I it. still might argue that that makes next year, without question, a referendum year. And it's like you, it's like you almost have the conversation. Like this is not about putting pressure on you. 
It's not about making you feel uncomfortable. It has nothing to do with whether I like you or not. It has everything to do with there is a standard at Mississippi State. And clearly, the program has not met the standard for each of the last two seasons. And you are the leader of the program. And so, it's really simple. You're either playing baseball at Duty Noble next June, or we're going to find a new coach. And what that means is you're asking, it doesn't mean you're asking for one of the three best teams in all of college baseball. I'm asking you at this place to have one of the 16 best teams in the country next year. And if you remember preseason, my prediction or and, and what I said was acceptable was just to be in a regional. didn't matter if you hosted. Just to go from last place to back in a regional was an acceptable season for Mississippi State this year. And they're not even close to that. No. I, look, we, we don't get into the let's fire coaches business. But we also don't get into the let's blindly support coaches business. And I get that for a lot of people, my opinion doesn't matter as it pertains to Mississippi State baseball. I think Chris Lamonis deserves another year, regardless of how this year finishes. I mean, even if they were to go 6-3 and three in the final nine games... I think you would look at this season and go, well, that one belongs in the pooper. Period. But I also know the guy did something that no other coach in the history of the program has done. And that is bring a national championship back to Starkville. History of the school. Well, true. Carries more weight. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. The only team sport national championship in school history where you got a trophy and you got to bring it back home. Fair. To me, that's got to matter. It has to matter. Five o'clock hour coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Are you ready? On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and always on your local Super Talk Mississippi station. o'clock hour with you on this Tuesday on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to be with you across the Magnolia State on all 12 of our Super Talk Mississippi stations on supertalk.fm and on Supertalk TV. Alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Visit PearlRiverResort.com and see all the cool upcoming entertainment events that are on the horizon this summer, including Sawyer Brown and Jeff Foxworthy and Fluffy get plenty of stuff. And before you know it, it's actually going to warm up before much longer. I know I can't give you a day that that's going to happen, but when it warms up, Geyser Falls Water Park, great place to spend a day or a week with the family. 
We'll be sure to let you know when they open up for the season. You can be part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. Oh, but don't stop there. You want to visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive the vehicle of your choice, whether it's the Explorer, the Expedition, or the Edge, that crossover, or you're looking for a Ford truck, you can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, we got dates. We've got dates for the 2024 and 2025 college football playoff. The 12-team version. First in 2024, first-round games will happen on campus. There will be one game on Friday night, December 20th. And there will be three games on Saturday, December 21st. We're talking the week before Christmas, the third weekend in the month of December. Oh, it's going to be so good. Four on-campus games, one on Friday night. Three on Saturday. The Saturday windows are what we discussed. Early afternoon, late afternoon, and evening. That probably means a noon Eastern kickoff, a 4 o'clock kickoff, and like a 7.30 or an 8 o'clock kickoff. I guess if we're going Eastern time, it would be noon, 4, and 8. Which, here in God's time zone, the central time zone, that means 11, 3, and 7. Yes, please! You know... Friend of the program, Ross Dellinger, dropped something in in this today that uh, I think went overlooked by most people. According to him, uh, officials are exploring the possibility of making week zero week one. Where instead of the first Saturday in September, it's the last Saturday in August. That, that would start the college football season to avoid what they're having to do, which is compete with the NFL. They'd have conference championships on yeah. Thanksgiving weekend instead of rivalry Saturday or rivalry weekend on Thanksgiving weekend because they're having to do weekday games or straight up compete with the NFL, and they don't want to do that. So they're exploring the, the possibility of moving week one up a week to week zero to avoid that. That is There's interesting. Po- like, I get it. I don't love it, though. I don't think you have to. At some point, while recognizing that the NFL is king, I feel like you have to be willing to say, we're good enough, we're smart enough, and doggone it, people like us. Being we queen's big pretty enough, good, too. We, we are big enough and strong enough <laughs> to stand on our own, and if that means... Two million fewer viewers watch our games because they're watching a random NFL game, then so be it. So be it. Yeah. There's other TV shows on during the NFL. You, you can you can watch other things. Well, yeah, but it's, it's not gonna kill you to you know. I mean, it's not the same as I mean, watching. If a I want to watch some guys' a... grocery games on a Sunday, I can, you know. Right, but it, you, the idea is a football fan. Now, I know this doesn't apply much to Mississippi because you guys love college football. We hear it all the time. But the casual football fan in a big city where more people live, they lean NFL. 
They do. Far more than they, they do. do college. It's just how it is. At, this, at the same time, we live in a world where people have more than one television in their home. People know how to flip channels. I, I just I never see this as this this. I mean, I get that the, the the viewership won't be the same. It will be less. I get that. But it's not like it's just going to be this catastrophic number. You know, we went up against the NFL and only fifty thousand people watched. You know, that's that's not happening. But the less is less is the issue. You, you're right. you're buying these gigantic contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars, and you're going to buy the executive's going to buy that contract. And say college football, ESPN executive, who also invests in the NFL, says college football. You're telling me that I now have to pay you eight hundred million dollars for however many years to air your games, and you're telling me that fewer people are going to watch those games because you are trying to compete with the NFL? No, you're not going to do that, or I'm not going to pay that. That's who you're dealing with. It's not. Like Greg Sankey up here, it's it's the television executive that strokes the te- the checks that's going to look at this and say, you better play on Thursday and Friday, because playing on Sunday is stupid, because less people are going to fewer people are going to watch. So to that end, first round games twenty twenty four, Friday December twentieth, Saturday December twenty first, no NFL conflict. Quarterfinal games, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Tuesday, December 31st, the Fiesta Bowl. And then on Wednesday, January 1st, the Peach Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. Those will be your quarterfinals. Not an issue there. And then in the semifinal round, to avoid the NFL issue, in 2024, the Orange Bowl will be played on Thursday, January 9th, and the Cotton Bowl will be played on Friday, January 10th. And then the championship game will be played on Monday, January 20th in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So that's 2024, moving ahead a year. Basically, the dates move up a day. Friday, December 19th, one game. Saturday, December 20th, three games. Quarterfinals. Wednesday night, New Year's Eve, Cotton Bowl. Thursday, New Year's Day, Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl. Semifinals. Thursday, January 8th, Fiesta Bowl. Friday, January 9th, Peach Bowl. And then the championship game on Monday night, January 20th, in Miami. Another thing that's not being talked about here, and and, and you know what's funny is they they don't care about the fans. They care about the audience on television. They don't care about the actual fans. But let's pretend for a second that Mississippi State has one of those seasons. They get a great quarterback, good team. They go 10-2, and they get to host a playoff game. So you're asking the Mississippi State fan, you know, all 60,000 people that would go to that game don't live in Octibaha County. So mm-hmm. the Mississippi State fan that my neighbor down the street who goes to every single Mississippi State sporting event ever lives in Madison. Yeah. So you'd ask him to buy tickets and go to the home game, right? Right. Let's say they win that game. The, they, the weekend before Christmas. They The weekend before Christmas, by the way, the weekend before Christmas, you're asking Mississippi State fan of Madison to go to Starkville, go to the game. Mm -hmm. That's an expensive. That's an expensive day. He does day trips. That's an expensive day trip for him. And then Christmas, and then State wins. They beat Michigan State at home. Okay. Then they have to go to the Fiesta Bowl. So you're asking fans to have your home game, pay for it, go to Tempe, Arizona. 
And hey, State wins that one too. They play Clemson. Clemson's overrated. Dabo Sweeney, he's losing it. They beat Clemson. Then you're great. Then you're asking them to turn around and go to Miami. Tell now, now tell me which fan it is that you're talking about that's not signing up for this. Uh, I hear you. Like there's their team no winning those games. Expensive. There's no doubt but, that but it's expensive. You are, you are asking so much of the fan, it, and because college football is all about in, environments, right? That's where I think you lose some is because 30,000 Mississippi State fans can't do that. They can't do a home game and then a week later go to Tempe and then a week later go to Phoenix and then two weeks later well, go to New Orleans. How many tickets are they getting in Tempe? I mean, 10,000, 15,000, the rest are going to be corporate. So, so, so in your scenario, the, I mean, there are some people that will just say, I, I just can't afford it. I wish I could. I can't. I'm going to watch. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to Starkville that can get a ticket. It's another home game. Maybe you didn't budget for it. You figure out a way. So maybe you can't go to the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe you have to sit that one out. But when they win that one, you're like, I mean, Dallas? I can do that. And then at that point, you're like, either I can afford to go to the championship game or I can't. It's a long drive to Omaha. But we saw how many Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans went up there for the whole two weeks for these two, these last two national championships, they'll show up if there's a national. If they feel like they can win a national championship, a week in Omaha is Everybody different than three weeks in Tempe and yeah, Miami. Two weeks in Omaha is not. Two weeks in Omaha versus expensive. versus four days. Four days in Miami is different. And a weekend in Omaha is expensive. This is Sports Talk. This is Sports Talk. Mississippi. Woo-hoo! I say sports fans. Now, here's more on Super Talk Mississippi. Genteel Apparel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. And if you sign up today online with your email address, you can get 10% off your first order online at genteelapparel.com. Whether you're looking for pants or shorts or swimming trunks or active wear, or it's the golf shirts or the shorts or swimming trunks, they've got it all online. New fresh prints for the spring Of course, there is the Collegiate Collection where you can get your favorite team's gear with good-looking logos on great-looking shirts and pullovers online, genteelapparel.com. And again, Genteel Apparel, the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Fun conversation, I think, on the college football playoff semifinals. Yeah. There is a difference, and, though, in in getting twenty thousand people to Omaha and filling. I, I'm talking about the atmospheres for the games, also. Yeah, TD Ameritrade or whatever it is now holds what twenty two thousand people. Yeah, it's a lot. Twenty four, twenty four, twenty four. But yeah, yeah, it's big. It's a lot. You're also having to do this football thing around Christmas. That matters. Mm-hmm. And you can't drive to all these locations. Get on an airplane. 
And so if if 20,000 Ole Miss fans are able to spend you can't. Mike would do it. Um, Twenty thousand Ole Miss fans were in Omaha. Not all of them stayed two weeks. Some had to come and go, and all that. But yeah, that mm-hmm. happened. Twenty thousand Ole Miss fans on television in an, in an atmosphere in the stadium in Tempe is like one fifth of it. No, think, no, it's I feel like, like one third or so of it, and and, yeah. and so when when you get two fan bases that can't fill up a stadium, it, it does impact the environment a little bit. For a game that should feel so big, you'd look up and there'd be upper decks filled with swaths of empty seats. It, and oh, that, I completely disagree with that. Sentiment. I disagree with you. Okay. totally, hundred uh, percent. Also, like, when are we ever watching these these games and going like, man, the atmosphere is not that great? I think about that every game I watch. I, I always uh, you're thinking about the, the wrong things, man. I, this is college football. I'm worried about the game. Well, I watch that the, too. The fans that are it's there not are like enjoy- that's a linear the thought. Fan- They're not mutually exclusive. I'm just but- saying the fans that are there are going to be worried about the fans that aren't there. And those of us watching on TV yeah. locks it's, in it's because our team is playing. It's a very difficult ask for the fans to get them to go to four games where the cost for each one would be many thousands of dollars to attend. We're also making another huge assumption that one of these teams in the in the quarterfinals is going to make it all the way through. I mean that's that's they you talk about a huge ask. That's the huge ask. But the possibility for the most part Georgia and Alabama are just going to be there and they're they're going to be used to it. They'll budget that stuff in. Yeah and I mean so yeah, I mean, if you don't take twenty or twenty-five thousand to the Fiesta Bowl, so you take twelve thousand, and the other team takes twelve thousand, and that's a little over a third of the stadium, and then the rest of it is full of people who are going to watch the college football playoff semifinal that come out of the Metro Phoenix area. So you're saying another forty thousand people? You say there's going to be these swaths of empty seats. We'll never see them. They aren't going to show that on television. Sure. It, it's just it, what what they could do to alleviate that is have the second round on campus as well. Oh, you, you don't have to sell me on that. that I would that, prefer that's, that. That, but, that would but, okay, be so much it, better for the sport is it, if the first two rounds were on campus. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that just for a different reason. Because yeah. you're still asking 10,000 fans to make four trips in this scenario. I mean, so so what if your second round game, but let's say you're the five seed, and that means you're going to the four seed, and Michigan's the four seed, and you got to figure out how to get using your example from earlier from Starkville to Ann Arbor, and then if you win that game, you got to get to Dallas, and then you got to get to, you know, Miami or Atlanta or Nashville or Phoenix or wherever for the championship game. I don't know that that really changes the equation that much. And and Jason made a point a second ago. He's like, look, he's like, people are playing for if Mississippi State's playing for a college football national championship, you got folks that'll take a second mortgage on their home to do it. I'm not yeah. suggesting that that's great financial advice. Yeah, and for for every those that prosthetic can do it, leg great. in the state will be sold. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's I I just I think college football could do better. Than, than what they're they're doing. The NFL, the freaking NFL, doesn't even ask fans to travel until the Super Bowl happens. 
No. The eleven that's, billion that's dollar true. a year industry. If you're a fan of a team that doesn't have home field, you're traveling the whole way if you want to do that. And and you get what? A thousand tickets? Sure. How many how many, how many road game What's my tickets kidney do you get? worth? <laughs> sure. Ah. But when it's a neutral site environment as opposed to you, you the NFL doesn't ask that. But, it's but a disservice in, in fairness, to college football to to put. In, in, in fairness, the cost to go to the Super Bowl if you're not able to buy face value tickets, and frankly, if you are able to buy face value tickets, is comparable to making two or three of these trips. Is it a one time? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. If you got to buy in a, if if you're buying Super Bowl tickets on the secondary market, you're paying minimum five thousand dollars a ticket. Face I think value get caught up for an upper deck Super Bowl ticket this year is going to be around two thousand dollars a ticket. Face value, not secondary prices. Face value. I think people get caught up sometimes in like these trips, and they're like, "Oh, well, I'm going to go to Miami, so I'm going to eat prime one twelve every night." And it's like, you know, you, you you can eat at Burger King, and you can stay at a, a Holiday Inn Express. And, you, you can do you it. Know, on a you budget. can make. The, the trips can be made on a budget. Yeah, the, the, you can make it where the ticket is the most expensive thing on your trip. Yeah. 4300 was the cheapest uh, secondary market Super Bowl ticket on February 12th was when the article that I pulled up was written. Okay. But that's your flight to Phoenix. It depends on how many people you got with you. And your hotel. How many people do I have with me? Family of four. A flight to a flight to Phoenix to Jack from oh, Jackson to go. Phoenix and back. A family of four plus a hotel. You're getting close to that number. And by the way, it's not right now. But that's for one ticket. So in in the Super Bowl scenario, yeah. if you're going family of four, you're talking. I just spent sixteen grand. Sixteen thousand on, on just the tickets. Yeah, Seventeen thousand. So I guess the point that I was making is you could make. With with the NFL comparison, two or three of these trips for what you could do the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is a massive expense. Yeah, I just there's no way people that I know could do that. There's no way. But they could do games at home. But instead, but again, even it's only if you're be, a higher it's only seat, be one. Unless states the four. Unless they've won the SEC. Again, if that's what they did throughout, like the NFL, it's more economical, it's better for the environments, it's better for the fans. It's just nuts. What, like, like Rationalizing the expenses to go to these games is insane to me. Oh, it's just a few thousand dollars. I mean, Ole Miss fans went to Omaha, and they had to run up their credit cards and max them out just to go to these games. And, oh, yeah, that's fine. No, that's not fine. That is, it's, with college sports and, profe- and to some degree but, professional but, but, sports have completely abandoned what is best for the people that pay the bills for all this stuff, the fans. We're rationalizing thousands of dollars of expenses and traveling across the country multiple times on the holiday well, season. Well, there, yeah, there's it's fine, one other thing. Whatever. That there's should one other not thing you're be not considering. Way. There's one other thing you're not considering. You don't have to go. Of course not, but you should be able to. The, the fans well, yeah, should be the ones that are. This is just how the life most. is, man. 
It doesn't there's, have there's to stuff be. in this life you I can't do. You love European soccer. I, they don't do that. They don't do that. Well, they don't have playoffs. They don't have. They just play games. They kind of have a regular season, and that's. I mean, you don't. You don't think it's 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 expensive to if you want to go to Champions League games and travel to Europe. It is, but if travel fan, to Spain if, and if fans Germany are priced out, they revolt and they get what they want. Well, comrade, what, I'm all about the power what, of the people. Let's go. What what is what was a, a get in price ticket for the Ole Miss Alabama game this past season regular season game? Uh, I don't know. It's insane. Three hundred bucks. The, the the people that pay the bills are being treated the worst. The people that make college football go, the cat the the regular fan, are being ignored and forgotten and treated the worst. It's give more, give more, give more, give more, give more. Money here, money here, money here, money here. And treated the worst. But those same fans demand their teams win. And to win, that's the cost of doing business in today's college sports landscape. Clemson has a putt-butt course at their facility. I feel like we could be more economical. Well, sure. Overinflated and buyout spending is not the fans' fault. How many Ole Miss fans that were in Omaha or state fans that were in Omaha want their money back? for that experience they had the last two years. Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Excited to tell you about a new partner on Sports Talk Mississippi, and that is Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota. Belk Ford opened its doors in the 1920s, and in 1961 they officially became a Ford dealer. In 1985 they made the move from the Oxford Square to their current location on Highway 6 just west of Oxford, in the spring of 1999, I got my very first vehicle from Belk Ford. Oh, I was so proud of it. It was a 1999 Ford Ranger. It was an extended cab with the 4.3 liter V6, and it was four-wheel drive, and it had a bed liner. Saved up my money that I had made cutting grass and bought a toolbox and put on the back of it, and it was so special. And that started a relationship that exists today for me and for my family with Belk Ford. And I've frankly lost track of how many Ford trucks, Ford vehicles I've gotten from Belk through the years. But the one thing that has stayed the same is the family atmosphere that you feel when you walk in the doors of the showroom at Belk Ford or at Oxford Toyota. They treat you not like just another customer who, if you buy a Ford truck or a Ford SUV, is going to be a tick mark on the window to show how many vehicles they've sold in a month. They treat you like a person. They understand what your needs are. They understand what your financial ability is in that particular vehicle purchase. And then they work to put you in the car or truck or SUV that you want, whether it's a new model or a pre-owned model. You can start your search for the vehicles that they've got at Belk Ford, online at belkford.net, or you can visit them on Highway 6 West, 447 Highway 6 West in Oxford. The If you've followed the car business for a while, you know that inventory has been tough to come by. 
Well, they're finally getting caught up, and there are a bunch of options on the lot right now. Whether you're looking for an F-150, a Super Duty, an SUV, or a used vehicle, they've got it all for you. And it just starts with the vehicle purchase. The service is there to follow up as well. Whether it's oil changes or tire rotations or repairs that you need made, they can do all of that on site. That's at Belk Ford in Oxford. Thanks to Belk Ford, we are excited to have them on as a partner right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Mentioned it earlier this afternoon, and Borky has another list that has made him angry. This one comes from On3 Sports. Oh, it's so bad. And it is a ranking, Borky, of the quarterback rooms. And in fairness to the author, it is the quarterback rooms, not just the starting quarterback of each team. That does change things a little bit, however. Number one on the list is the University of Southern California. Lincoln Riley has developed his relation, his uh, reputation of being the best developer of quarterbacks in college football. Now, he's had elite guys at that position. Caleb Williams returns. I don't think you'll find anybody that argues he's the best quarterback in the country, at least going into the season. Yeah. And Miller Moss, a former five-star blue-chip recruit, is a backup and then they've got five-star freshman Malachi Nelson yeah. on the team as well. That's a good quarterback room, but the only experience in the room is with the starter in Caleb Williams. But I'm cool with that being number one reigning Heisman Trophy winner, five stars behind him. I, I get it. Cool there. Number two on the list is LSU. Not sure that there's a ton of argument here either. Jaden Daniels, who performed quite well a year ago, Garrett Nussmeyer, when called into duty in the SEC championship game, was really, really good. And Daniels had experience before LSU as well. It's not like he's a one-off starter there. Number three on the list, perhaps, raises some eyebrows. This is gripe number one. It's Texas. So, Quinn Ewers, with Malik Murphy as his backup, who had a really good spring game, really kind of lost the competition for quarterback a year ago. He lost it to Quinn Ewers, but then was really hampered by an injury that set him back. And, of course, there is the answer uh, or the addition of Arch Manning, who did not have a spring game, but it was a spring game when he was supposed to still be a senior in high school. Yes. But what is your issue with Texas being number three on this list? Quinn Ewers was kind of stinky last year. I know he got hurt, but he, he wasn't particularly good. And Arch Manning has never taken a college snap before. And you're telling me that room is the that that's the third best quarterback room to our knowledge in the sport. That's what you're telling me. Again, Quinn Ewers in his one year, kind of stinky. And guys you've never seen play before is the third best quarterback room in the entire sport. Okay. No shot. Uh, the one right behind it, because you know Drake May's not stinky. You know he's a high-level player. Regardless of what's behind him. You don't know what what's behind Drake May just as much as you don't know what's behind Quinn Ewers. Neither group Wait, has shown... Are, are you telling me that, that Connor Harrell and Tad Hudson are not household names? No. Those are Drake May's potential backups. But they have the same experience as Arch Manning, which is none. Arch Manning, 
I know five star, I know the name, all that stuff. But how many five stars with a ton of pedigree and a ton of upside have flamed out at the quarterback position? Spoiler, it's more than the ones that have that have succeeded. Um number four on the list, you mentioned North Carolina. Number five is Oklahoma, and this is an odd one to me as well. So UCF transferred Dylan Gabriel. He threw for 3,100 yards and 25 touchdowns. There's a ton of experience for Dylan Gabriel across two schools. Yeah. He's... And he should put up really good numbers this year for Oklahoma. And he was ended up being pretty good last year on a bad team. They, they couldn't stop anybody. Oklahoma. Uh, horrible defensively. He, but he has like 1,400 Division One pass attempts. Something like that. Jackson Arnold is his backup, a former five-star that maybe uh, they, they write in this story, might be the most game-ready of any of the quarterbacks in this freshman class. And then they say Georgia, Oregon, Tennessee, UCLA, Ole Miss are the next five. Georgia. That's the one that stood out to me, circle, underline. Texas is over is overrated, but Texas is perpetually overrated with everything that they do always. Everything that Texas is involved in, they are overrated in. That brand is so strong that it blinds people. But Georgia at six, no starts in the entire room. Not one. I know it's Georgia, and they'll probably win a bunch of games because you win a bunch of games at Georgia with that roster. But take Ole Miss out of this, because I know what people on Twitter say. Take Ole Miss out of this. How do you know that Georgia's quarterback room is better than that of Arkansas? How do you know it's better than that of Mississippi State, who has two guys on roster that have started games in the SEC? I know Mike Wright lost his job, but that's the backup. The backup can play in SEC games, has beaten Florida, by the way, behind Will Rogers, who has thrown a billion passes in the SEC. You're telling me that Georgia's room, that has never taken a meaningful snap collectively, ever, in college football, is better than that of Arkansas, than that of, yes, Ole Miss, than that of Mississippi State. Please explain to me how that is the case. It's a really talented room. We don't know, though, right? I mean, it's unproven. I we mean, don't know. The, the, those guys, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, all super highly rated, but they got to prove it on the field. By the way, for those of you asking what happened to Hey Dad, he had to go be a dad. He had a, uh, it was either a band concert or a choir concert for his daughter. And uh, he was sneaking out a little bit early to do that. So it's all good. Let's bring up Ole Miss just for a second. If the point of this exercise, as the writers at On3 lay it out, is the quality of the overall room, and clearly On3 is leaning on recruiting rankings. So they talk a lot about former five stars and former blue chips. Then how do you have Ole Miss 10th on this list? Behind, for example, UCLA, who has former Kent State Carter Colin Schley, former Cal starter Ethan Garbers, and a five-star freshman in Dante Moore, in comparison to Ole Miss, who has a returning starter at two Power 5 schools, including Ole Miss, the second-leading passer in the history of Oklahoma State, and a former five-star that is unproven in the same room. Yes. If you are 
ranking the quarterback rooms, Ole Miss being at number 10 makes zero sense. You want to tell me they're not number one because Caleb Williams is so good and Lincoln Riley is so good at developing guys that he just elevates that room beyond what anybody can catch up to. Okay. If you want to try to convince me that LSU's quarterback is room is better, I'll listen. I'm not 100% sure that I agree with that, but I'll listen. But to have Ole Miss at 10 behind North Carolina and Oklahoma and Georgia with three guys that have never really played and Tennessee who's replacing a starter, there are six seasons of starting, six seasons of starts in the Ole Miss quarterback room. Six. We'll wrap it up with you next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your favorite teams like no one else on the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Take me home tonight. Oh, down beside that red firelight. Oh, you gonna let it all hang out, fat bottom girls. You make the rockin' world go round. One last time with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. We wrap up. Don't forget you got news at the top of the hour, first from Fox and then from Super Talk. Don't miss that. Keep you up to date with everything that is going on. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Hey, Dad, I had to slip out a few minutes early this afternoon. Um, stat of the day. Let's go stat of the day. In this year's draft, 2023, we talk about star ratings all the time. Former five stars had an 81% draft rate. So what does that mean? That means from the three and four years ago class, players that were ranked as five stars coming out of high school so they actually did three to five, because you have five years of eligibility. So la- from last three years to last five years, that group oh, okay. Of five so stars. rolling average, okay. Rolling so average. so so you've got a a three year window, three year, four year, five year players, former five stars. By the way, pretty good evaluation at this point. Eighty one percent were drafted. Eighty one percent. That's eight out of every ten. Quick math there, I know. Former four stars. You want to see the disparity? And now we know there are a bunch more four stars, and that skews the numbers. Former four stars were drafted at a 23% rate. So if you were a former five-star player in that three-year rolling window going into this draft, you had an 8 out of 10 chance of being drafted. If you were ranked as a four-star coming out of high school, then you had a 2.3 out of 10 chance of being drafted. And then for three stars, 
you had less than a 1 out of 10 chance. 6% was the draft rate for that three-year window for three-star players. Now, again, massive numbers, right? There are thousands of three-star players. Only 6% of them were drafted. There are hundreds of four-star players. Only 23% of them were drafted. And then you're talking about, what, basically 100 five-stars? No, roughly 30 a year. So, yeah, so over over the course of three years. 90 to 100. 90 to 100. And of those, if you just call it 100 for round numbers, 81 of those 100 were drafted by an NFL team. Yeah. The data's clear. And, and, you know, for every Patrick Willis, there's, as you mentioned, hundreds of guys you've never heard of that never had an impact, that didn't yeah. play nine years of Hall of Fame caliber football. And again, Borky, I mean, it could be that if you were just doing numbers themselves, it may be that there were more three-star players that were actually drafted over the course of the seven rounds than there were five stars, simply because there's so many more of them. Yes. More four-stars. But, and, and I think this speaks more to the evaluation process that has become so sophisticated for kids making the transition from high school to college. There are not many misses on these evaluations anymore when you have an 81% draft rate to the NFL. Yeah. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. Nope. And it's still not an exact science, but it's a whole lot closer than it ever has been. Mike says, I like Cross doing math for the Starkville listeners. Come on, Mike. That's oh, not that's nice. Mean. That's not nice, Mike. It's for my own benefit, honestly. And once I run out of fingers and toes, I'm in trouble. Hmm. Jeff says, just remember those people that did those rankings or some of the same people thought Kentucky quarterback Will Levis was a stud and would go early in the first round. Uh, he's talking about the quarterback rankings from earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was backtracking there. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it, that that's helmet bias. That's what that is. That's helmet bias. No other way around it. Helmet bias. On the rankings? On the rankings. Helmet bias. When that's you go it. Southern Cal, LSU, Texas, one, two, three? And put Georgia in there in the top six? It's crazy. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. Six seasons of starts are in the Ole Miss quarterback room, and the third guy's a five-star. There you go. I, I mean, helmet bias. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. We'll start all over tomorrow afternoon at 3.06. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad in the Pearl River Resort Studio, I'm Richard Cross. Have a great Tuesday night.
Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.